This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Our greatest friend is technology, ladies and gentlemen. Truthful, because we love it or we hate it. I'm Kelly McDonald, and I'm Ramia Amadin. Hours of fantastic programming. Of course, we're going to say that. We've got a great lineup. We'll get to that very, very shortly. And Ramya, where I am, we have a wind warning up, lots of mm. banging and clanging outside. And, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, such a terrible thing. Unfortunately, along with that wind, uh, warm temperatures. So yeah. I guess for February, shouldn't be complaining for the absolute middle of the month. Yes, here it's, I think, like 12 degrees right now. Absolutely wow. gorgeous, but Ooh. overcast, soon to be scattered showers. So same thing. What was that? Give a little, take a little. I- I think I heard the sound of record shattering. Wow, really nice. You know, um, for people who have pretty well one climate, you know, maybe a little cooler when it comes to the winter time, I I think that when anyone says, geez, what's it like having the four climate? It's wonderful, but health-wise, it can take its toll on you because you'll get weather like this and you go sort of weird. You start thinking, oh, I don't need a coat. You know, it's 15 degrees Celsius. I don't need a coat if you were to go out. And then all of a sudden the weather starts reverting to what it should be. No, I still don't need a coat, man. It's just too nice. I want to. And sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we're so used to this being an anomaly. And when you have it, you take advantage. And sometimes you get a little silly. It gets so bad that even zero degrees or just anything, you know, one degree uh, feels like it should be nice weather. So you go out without your coats or your hats. The difference is that you're talking about. Yeah. Right? Well, when you're used to minus 20 at this time of year or expecting that, Mm -hmm. your head gets it, you know, uh, right right to, oh, man, I can do anything. I'm used to minus 20. I can run out in shorts. So when you get cold, for me, it's my feet. If my feet get cold, the rest of the body's cold. Is it hands, head? What for you? Head 100% all the time. I'm now like an absolute hat person, toque person because of it. (laughs) Ah, congratulations. Always good on the hats. Let's take a look at what we've got going on today on the program. On In the Know today, we learn about Doctors Without Borders and the David McGanty Gibson Foundation. We're welcoming our newest community reporter to the Kelly and Romeo family, Stephen Ricci from Toronto. Looking forward to his chat. Well, we also have another new person on the program. We have a discussion with Marcus McCracken today on how games are continually being improved for accessibility and inclusion for gamers with disabilities. That will be a great conversation. We'll get into that with him during hour two here on Kelly and Ramya. Well, home sales plunged 37.1% year over year in January. The Canadian Real Estate Association says last month's sales were the lowest for the month since 2009. Home sales tumbled last year as rising mortgage rates increased the cost of borrowing and slowed the housing market. 
Korea says the actual national average home price was $612,204 last month. That's down 18.3% from January of 2022. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press. Now, we have been, I mean, most of us during pandemic times, were amazed about what we were hearing about house sales, movement, Ramya, especially people nearer the bigger city saying, you know what, I don't have to be in the office much. This looks like the trend of the future. I'm going to buy 120, 150 kilometers out from where mm -hmm. I live, and I'll just commute in when I need to pay for a hotel. But then we also knew the government was saying, yeah, well, we got to do stuff with the interest rates and everything like that. Um, and a lot of younger people were fenced out. That's the perception of being able to qualify, get the money to get a house. And I think when we look at January, the dead of winter, we're seeing some of this, wow. But these are pretty big numbers. These are pretty big numbers. And every year or every you know six to eight months, especially in the GTA, the greater mm. Toronto area, we've been keeping track. Uh, I'm not a homeowner, so there's always the prospect of, will I be able to? Can I dream of buying a home? And then um, people like my mother, who's bought a recent property, and trying to do the the selling or the keeping, or you know, should we invest or should we keep it as is? All of these questions, and not to mention interest rates and everything else fluctuating because of all this. I stop and wonder, and we had John Melville on yesterday talking about coming to Canada and and all that back through the late '60s uh, in our collection segment. I really wonder how this story is the same for people in their early 20s, getting up towards their 30s, if we looked at 19, I'm going to say 65, 55, you know, post uh, the Depression, of course, or mm -hmm. even going back further, you know, how much of a struggle has it always been, always cycles around to for the younger people getting into that house? And I'm sure some will say, and when I say younger, I know that's relative to the, the you were doing different things at 20 years old back in 1945 than you were in 1965 or 85 and so on. So I, I kind of love somebody who crunches that and fills me in on that because I'm. it's really curious. Are we looking at the same amount of people kind of fenced out due to the times right. at any given particular time in history? Yeah, and it's generations... An generationally, it's going to look and feel different, right? But essentially, mm -hmm. is it the same thing? Is what we're asking. Yeah, and yeah. what also affected that at those times. It's, it's an interesting thought. Well, we've got a lot of program ahead, folks. We'll tell you about some of the things coming up on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, things that you can check out via our podcasts that are out there. But up next, we bring out Grant Hardy, reporter out in Vancouver, who's here to talk about health, lifestyle, and accessibility. He'll be with us in a moment. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. frozen so we'll check in with him in a second i'm ramia amathan joining you from toronto and in the meantime as the show goes on thanks for tuning in by the way to kelly and ramia on ami we're going to be checking in with grant hardy we call this our headline segment we check in about health lifestyle accessibility and everything else let's bring him on 
Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. That's right. Tech was the one that I was uh, throwing into everything else. Grant, how's your Wednesday? Uh, pretty good, yeah. I've got a little bit of a more serious topic here, okay. though, so it's going to get a little little more serious than usual. So I want to just throw out a content warning that we are talking about medical assistance in dying and how that intersects with disability and poverty. Um, so right. that's not something that you feel comfortable listening to. I would come back in about, what, 10, 15 mm. minutes. Mm -hmm. So um, this is something that I'm really passionate about. And uh, I came across a, a really good example uh, in the CBC of a case that kind of illustrates this problem. So in, in 2016, we, we began in Canada offering medically assisted dying to Canadians uh, with grievous and irre irre irremedial conditions, uh, pro uh, provided they had the capacity to understand the choice as well as their own health issues and any potential uh, treatment or palliative care options. But last year, the federal government uh, passed Bill C-7, which expanded access to MAID to include those whose deaths are not reasonably foreseeable uh, after a 2019 court challenge. The inclusion of those suffering solely from mental illnesses is also due to start uh the bill was pushed back uh but it's due to start uh probably next year so i have an example of a woman uh who is featured in this article jackie holiak uh, she is considering accessing made uh due to the debilitating pain of living li living with fibro fibromyalgia mm -hmm. but she says it's a choice she might not even contemplate if her disability benefits didn't leave her struggling to make ends meet. Uh, the former medical assistant is on the Ontario Disability Support Program, but says it's not enough to live off. Uh, her disorder is fatal, or non-fatal, sorry, characterized by pain all over the body, sleep problems, fatigue, and brain fo uh, brain fog. Uh, the pain can be quite relentless, she said. Um, and it's difficult to have a normal life. And so about two years ago, she had to uh, stop working. She now receives uh, $1,228 a month, which after rent leaves her less than $100 for food, pharmaceutical supplies, uh, adaptive equipment, all the stuff that she needs. She's uh, lost uh, 70 pounds in two years. Her mobility is really affected. She said she can see her grocery store from her window, but can't access it, can't right. get there. Um, so she actually applied for MAID uh, and was first turned down and has now applied again now that her condition has worsened. So let's see if there are any clues that would determine if she actually wants to die. As she puts it in the article, I'm just sitting here wanting to live, but not knowing how, and seeking help to die, but not knowing if I'm even going to be eligible for that. Uh, I'm just very overwhelmed. 
She said she does flip-flop back and forth on the decision to access MAID. She says, I have children. I have a new grandchild. Do I want to actually die? Of course not. I mm. love music and soccer, and there are tons of things I want to do, but my quality of life doesn't allow me to do those things. So I think there are a couple of issues here that uh, I just wanted to run by you. Uh, you know, I'm definitely not opposed to MAID in all cases. I think that where there is informed consent uh, and potentially a terminal uh, irrecoverable illness that causes a lot of pain, I, I'm certainly not saying that I would want to deprive people of their freedom to make that choice. But I think poverty really impacts your ability to give informed consent. We can see this in relationships, right? Like sometimes people will choose to stay in living right. arrangements that aren't optimal just so that they can eat uh, or because they don't have, they don't feel that they have the resources to make it on their own. Uh, so I'm really concerned that that is a factor. Also, I think that, you know, for us who are young, you know, we've had disabilities all of our life. We've kind of learned to, to adapt. We really underestimate how it terribly society thinks that disabilities mm. actually are even the ones that are not and i can see people potentially being nudged towards applying for this especially people with mental illnesses uh who maybe don't really need it so i've talked a lot but just wanted to get your uh opinion here on this Oh, you know, Grant, I find your perspectives incredibly valuable in this conversation. And I think that you, you've definitely pointed out some uh, highlights or, you know, underlined material from this article and uh, just your assessment of it, because I agree that disability is kind of at the forefront here in the sense of I have a disability and therefore I can't experience an incredible quality of life and therefore I am torn between the idea of accepting made or not or applying for it or not. Mm -hmm. And and that to me is not, you know, you did the comparison of like a terminal illness with chronic pain and uh, just absolute deterioration where somebody might say full-heartedly that they've come to the decision and wanting the assistant in, assistance in dying. But that is not at all what's happening here, right? It's, it's chronic pain, sure, there are some parallels, but a lot of what I'm hearing is that I don't know how to live my life and I'm trying to get the help that I need to be able to love my life again, but that help isn't being given to me and so I'm considering, you know? Yeah, the, the, yeah go ahead. That's it, that, that's what I was yeah, gonna say. That's the idea. That's the idea. And, you know, as someone who was born in the 1990s, you know, I, I never really observed this sort of standard of like, okay, maybe now we need to move to a standard, a lower standard of care here until COVID. And even then, like in our hospitals in BC, like we managed to give everybody, I believe, the care that we needed. We never got to those more serious protocols where, you know, some sometimes people had to be sort of left out. Um, but this seems pretty dystopian to me because we're 
we're kind of we get offer people so little supports. I mean, mm-hmm. the talking mm-hmm. about talking about uh, you know income supports that they're looking at adding, which would basically bring you up to like a poverty level. In Vancouver, your disability benefits, you know, do not even pay for rent, let alone uh, food and and other necessities. You know, I think there's also this idea that people just want the handouts, which like people want to contribute to their full capacity, but sometimes society is just not uh, set up in that, that, wave it's a them. vicious cycle we mention it in various capacities where you want to work but you're you're not uh being able to or this like you said society not being set up for it um and or the all the stigmas that you faced you know generationally uh leading mm-hmm. up to you in this lifetime and then you have to get the the assistance, the support, the finances to be able to support yourself. But then you can't support yourself anyway with what's being offered to you. You know, crumbs in comparison to what other yeah. people make. So it's it's this idea that uh, you know s- some people in in my network have <laughs> referred to this as eugenics. I mean, that's pretty dark. But this is um, this seems like a bit of a an effort to kind of sort sort people out in a a really cheap way for society rather than like really working to do all that we can do and provide people with all of those resources because the thing is like your quality of life is going to suffer greatly if you don't have those supports to go for a walk or Mm -hmm. to go to the grocery store or even you know to have someone to have a really engaging chat with but oftentimes we see people you know just plunk down in front of the tv or whatever you know especially more so as, as you get older um and you know that can just deteriorate your your quality of life uh right away so yeah, I, I definitely don't want to say that I'm speaking for everybody here. I know I'm not, uh, but this is just one sort of perspective that's been gnawing on me, especially as we move to expand this to people with mental illnesses, where we all yes. know that your care is not even reactive. It's below the level of reactive, but it's definitely not proactive. The psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health professionals, they do not have the time or resources or inclination to deal with improving people's mental health. Mm-hmm. And And the way that I see it, Grant, if we don't have the resources, like there's so many people who need the the help and the support to have a better quality of life and we don't have the resources, you know, where does that start? How do we begin to start looking at bringing about more resources? And I mean, that's kind of a rhetorical question, but you know what I mean? Because that starts um, so early on as well. Totally, totally. And just as you pointed out too, even uh generationally generationally intersectional oppression and just just removing all the levels of stigma and the accessibility barriers that like you know i'm sure 100 years from now people are gonna go like wow that really wasn't that complicated Mm. to remove those accessibility barriers but there's just so much red tape out there uh you know 
in society that it can be really difficult to do. But I, I, I do get the sense that if we were a little more pre- proactive, less reactive, possibly less people like this this woman would ap- apply for MAID yes. while stating something that hopefully her, the people reviewing her application are going to maybe see that she actually would like to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were able to point it out in this article alone, it, just based on a couple quotes, um, I, I can't imagine why other people wouldn't. But then, you know, there are, there should be, at least a, a more comprehensive feedback of, after declining a person's application. Like if you were part of that process of uh, accepting or declining someone's made application and you say, no, you don't qualify, what happens from there? This person just goes back to their life? Yeah, that's that's it. That's an excellent point. Like, oh, sorry, maybe come back another time. Like, no, maybe the answer is, you know, let's figure out, let's push our society as far as we can to mm. figure out, you know, you can't get to the grocery store. Maybe Across we can street. figure out, yeah, maybe we can figure out like how to get you your groceries. Yeah. yeah and then, and to me, like these, these um, options are already out there. Like ways to deal with these, like you said, are not that far away. It's not so far of a reach, but and yet, you know, people have to go apply for MAID to start these conversations. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Grant, a lot, lot of work to be done. A Thanks lot of work to be done. Thank you for bringing this. I really appreciate it. Um, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Good to chat. Grant Hardy joining us for our headline segment on Wednesdays, also on Fridays. After the break, we have In the Know with Margaret Weldon. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Well, folks, on this week's edition of The Neutral Zone, they're joined by one of the most respected people in the para-sport community, Devin Haru, who brings them up to speed on everything from the Paralympic Games and the Arctic Winter Games, and he's even going to talk a little bit about Brock's favorite, curling on the program. He'll give us a little bit of a preview, too, on the upcoming Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. That's The Neutral Zone, airing on AMI-audio Tuesdays at 11 a.m. in the morning, also available as a video podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Kelly McDonald back in the fold here. Thank you, folks, for the patience. I understand, Ramya, I missed an incredible conversation. I got bits of it while we were sorting problems out. Uh, pretty heavy one with you and Grant. Very heavy. And as I said in that segment, I really appreciate Grant's perspectives on the medical assistance in dying. Uh, we had a lot of... Um, back and forth on the whys, the why nots, and how it almost can feel like a scapegoat for some people. Well, we're going to move into another conversation kind of in that realm of things, but not uh, the same with Margaret Weldon on In the Know. And Margaret, today we're talking about some organizations and initiatives um, that are very helpful for people starting with something like Doctors Without Borders. So why is an organization like Doctors Without Borders or Medicine Since Frontiers uh, and the Dabin McAnthony Gibson's Foundation so important in your opinion? 
Well, actually, um, those both organizations, now the Doctors Without Borders Medicine Sans Frontier is the full name, but for this, uh, for our segment's purpose, we're just going to refer to it as Doctors Without Borders and uh, the David McAnthony Foundation we'll get into in a few moments too. But both of these organizations are extremely important because they provide the uh, quintessential assistance, you know, after disasters such as earthquakes, like the one that was experienced, uh, like the ones that were experienced, pardon me, on February the 6th in Turkey and Syria, uh, the war, you know, the the uh, turmoil that's going on in war-torn Russia and Ukraine right now, and as well as uh, hurricanes that take place in uh, Canada, United States, and all kinds of other countries out there. Very um, significant support that people need and whole entire communities need, Margaret. We know that. So both of these organizations, uh, like you said, are just offering so much. What is Doctors Without Borders? Okay. Doctors Without Borders is a an organization that um, was is actually made up of different uh, um, medical personnel, actually 40,000 staff to be quite exact, to be quite exact. Um, and it was founded in 1971, and it provides the medical type of assistance that's needed, you know, in earthquakes or disaster areas and uh, all kinds of things like that. Now, the one note that I should make about these this organization, too, is it's neutral, right? So it doesn't matter what country you come from, what the disaster is, if you need the medical assistance, they're there to provide that medical mm. assistance during those kinds of things. And 40,000 staff, uh, yeah. 70 countries, give or take, being covered? That's right. That's what, huge. What, what do you think about that, right? Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, considering the flip side where, you know, people are struggling for uh, to, to pay their medical bills, to get the medical assistance that they need, you know, remote communities and transportation in order to find medical assistance in emergencies, just even in our own country, uh, this is the complete opposite. Everyone everywhere trying to assist in any way medically. Exactly. Now, I, I just want to make a quick point here, Remy, before I go on. I uh, was fortunate enough to catch the last discussion between you and Grant, and I agree with um, everything the two of you talked about. But, And you know what? I complain about our healthcare system. I complain about our, our ODSP and other things just as much as the next guy does. But something like this reminds me about how lucky we really are to be living in Canada. Yep, absolutely, Margaret. Can you tell us a little bit about the working conditions? Uh, I imagine this is one of the first things that we all think of. You know, if you're working post-disasters and in all of these different uh, countries and places, what do these staff, the organizations have to deal with? Oh, my goodness. Well, let's start with the staffing. You know, we talk about staffing being understaffed here, or facilities being understaffed here. Like, these facilities are severely understaffed. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, I, I also caught your uh, Kelly's comment about technology in uh, segment one. And, yes, uh, in cities in some of these countries have the technology, but it's not as uh, strong or, uh, up, you know, as up-to-date as our technology is. You've also got... Um, countries where there's only one entrance that people can get in and out of because of war or other political situations. And you've got weather conditions to deal mm. with too, right? And uh, try to try to even compare that with, okay, you've got uh, people that you need to take care of 
after a disaster has taken place, but also you've got to figure out how to take care of those people who you were taking care of before disasters taken place. And what happens if a hospital or technology gets bombed or whatever uh, that prevents, you know, that, that that you need to help these people, like you need to help that these doctors without borders and these staff need to help them help the rest of the help, right. help these people. Right. I, I can't imagine the kind of improvisation skills <laughs> when I read um like, for example, Chris Hadfield's book, right? And they're talking about the the skills needed to know how to respond and react in an emergency up in outer space. And it's thinking, like, no matter what happens, you know that this, 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 and this could go wrong. And you can barely prepare. Like, what you're preparing for is that you're not going to be prepared for what may or may not happen. And this, I feel like, is such a similar experience you know people working in these conditions anything and everything can and will go wrong and even what you had prepared with may not be available to you in that moment and you're still offering your assistance exactly yeah let's talk about um what what happens then so i'm just gonna because i i caught this last week and uh, in many 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 newscasts and i and i found it kind of interesting but again gives us a lot to think about Mm -hmm. so Okay, when uh, when these organizations or when the doctors border, without borders and things like that, uh, you know, receive, receive donations, some of that donation goes towards extra staff like dispatchers or individuals that help, you know, clear up after disasters or uh, ambulances, the ambulance drivers, what have you. So what happens is if an earthquake strikes, for example, and some and and these uh, countries, these 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 country people have to deal with two-way radios. Never mm-hmm. mind the cell phones mm-hmm. that we all rely on. Two-way radios, okay? So then a dispatch. Then so what happens is when somebody needs help, they have to radio into the dispatcher, providing their technology hasn't been destroyed, to find to to ex- describe what the situation is, and the dispatchers try to get people uh, out to the areas ASAP. Right. And they also try to, to, to try to get other staff members out there as well. And then when you have to uh, worry about, you know, what patient gets prioritized and how you get them to the right places, there's no charts or any computers like that. Right. Mm-hmm. It, they, they've just they've got to do the best they can. And uh, they they do it. You know, look at even the how long the searches are taking right now. Oh, yeah. You know, oh God, just finding people like finding the damages, finding the people. All of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Right. Now, okay, that's that's it for well, that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to comment on on the fact that, you know, the the process is slow and the communication is pretty much the only thing you have, right? In in terms of connecting with the people who have the information for you or the direction or the free resources like dispatch, I guess. Um, okay. but even that could be completely destroyed. So wow. That's right. Uh, let's right. move on to the David McAnthony Gibson Foundation. Okay, so the David uh, Mc, uh, McAnthony Gibson Foundation is actually un- operates uh, Global Medic, and Global Medic has been around since two thousand two, and they provide um, things like food if they can, or you know other things. Other, well, sometimes they'll provide medical. Organ, uh, assistance to, but they look at other types, they look at other dimensions of the situation, right? 
And um, they, they have a number of professional staff as well as volunteers who are, are, are like boots on the ground, so to speak. In other words, they're right there in the country they're, or they're transferred to that area that needs the assistance. And then there's organizations back here you know that put the uh, that put things together in order to get that help out there. So they they provide assistance, but they provide um, after assistance that doesn't necessarily mean medical um, medical uh, assistance or medical things like that. Mm. Okay, so, so do they? Okay, tell us first what's one of the unique programs uh, that Global Medic provides. Okay. So one of the unique programs, and I'm pretty sure most people have heard about them, is they provide these kits that um, it, it contain things like soap, toothbrush, toothpaste, and dried food, because you know it's it, it, chances are people haven't had anything to eat for a long time, right? So the dry food kind of helps them get something to eat. Um, one of the unique features about these kits too is that um, they contain some items, like one or more items that pertain to what the country's situation is like. One of the things I found fascinating, and I don't know what this device is called, but it's a two-piece device where somebody can pour water into one part of the device, and the other part of the device pulls the unhealthy particles out of the water through the use of gravity. Mm. Because again, they, they don't have the clean water or the pipes or anything that we have over here. Yep. Right? Yep. 100%. And and I think the the key for this foundation and what they're doing is the timeliness, right? Because uh, the, the food, the drink, the other aid and grooming um, items that they provide are, a lot of it is because, you know, how long have these people gone without that assistance? That's right. And you also have to look at it too, Ramya. Um, how long, like how, how does the assistance get there? How long mm. does the transportation, you know, what's, what's the transportation like? Right. Um, can, can the people who are actually delivering that type of thing, like, let's say if they're leaving from Canada, can they get into these countries safely? Right. You know? Just things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Doctors Without Borders and Global Medic, can you talk about how they're funded? Each one of those organizations is funded privately um, from either by other agencies or people like you and I. Yes, there is governments that do governments or countries that do fund, um, you know, disasters and that. But they are very complicated because when when uh, when the government when the when the money gets there, one part of the government takes their cut and something else takes its cut. And by the time it gets down to who needs it, like it's not as much money as you think it is. So these other organizations do are are completely private. One thing that I would urge people to do is that there are so many causes and things out there is to please research your your uh, choices carefully before making any type of donation and just find out how do how can we make sure that the money or whatever you're donating is going to where you want it to go mm -hmm. yeah uh, comes on the tail end of what we were talking about on monday with devin wilkins and you know a bit of that conversation around um cnib and all the headlines around where the money that's going to that we're donating to the guide dog programs where the actual dollars are ending up and i think that this is a really valid point margaret you know knowing where or at least trying to understand where you 
want your money to go and what's important to you because that's another part of it, right? Choosing the charities and choosing the organizations you want to support based on what you feel um, is important to you. But right. today's segment is an example of that, just getting to know some organizations, how they're actually helpful. How did you end up wanting to cover this? Curious. Actually, Ramya, it's it's kind of a couple of things. Um, number one, as as I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, is that you know I'm one to complain about a lot of things, even though I did a segment <laughs> on how bad complaining is. Yes, <laughs> right. And sometimes, and and then I when I when I heard the story on the news, I remember a few years back where um, the the country I think that your parents are from, and I want to say Sri Lanka, but yes. I'm not just sure, had the earthquake. And, you know, mm -hmm. I remember you and I had a brief chat about how stressful it can be even just waiting to get word, yes. you know, or or just, you know, are, are, are people getting the help they need, this kind of thing. So I thought, well, let's try to take something and, and turn it around into a positive. And I think I can state, um, you know, on behalf of all of us that our thoughts and prayers are with those families um, one organization I just want to mention quickly, but I don't know the name, is trying to get supplies, donated supplies, out to Turkey. But they're having a problem mm -hmm. right now because other commercial flights and that that are going there, you know, are, are just too full of people. They've got to transport and, and products it's and that sort of struggle. thing. It's such yeah. a struggle right now, and we know post any disaster anywhere in the world, uh, it's always a, a bit of a challenge. Margaret, we're putting the links up on our blog. Thank you so much for In the Know. Great. Have a good afternoon, Rumbia. Bye. Bye. In the Know with Margaret Weldon every other week on Wednesdays. And after the break, following this hit, we have the buzz with Bill. So stick around for that on Kelly and Rumbia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumbia on AMI-tv. the program hello everybody okay we're trying this out again seeing what i can do with my uh, sound system here folks so bear with us that's the sonos Back from the london ontario home studio can you hear me okay Ron? yeah i can hear you can you hear me okay i can she's sounding right. good i was just asking if your sound <laughs> system you're referring to is the sonos in your house but no i was being oh, sarcastic no. oh gosh no i'd <laughs> never have trouble with the sonos and I'd Ouch. never admit to it because people would say, how much money do you spend yeah. on that? Yeah, there's never trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Uh, I will say, guys, I am hearing a bit of a an echo. Not sure you can do much about that one, though. Um, Rum, it's time to bring on the man, the myth, the guy who always buzzes in here. You like how I did that? Mm-hmm. So good. The shag. The man who always brings us items, folks, and we never know where he's going to go with them. So let's welcome in here on Kelly and Rumya, Mr. Bill Shackleton. Shack, what's going on today? Oh, lots of things. Or, yeah, we're doing pretty good. Um, we got a yeah, wide variety us, of articles. Uh, you sent us a oh, reminder yeah. today that, hey, I'm going to be on the show. Here's some of the things I'm talking about. But we never know what direction you're going to go. So where are you kicking it off with? Well, this is... A very interesting one. Park, a site for Chinese matchmaking as parents seek wedding bliss for their children. Oh, uh, dear. From, yeah, from Canadian yes. Press. Giving this me is Indian really... matchmaker vibes, but I, I oh, won't say anything yet. Is, I don't know. Is that what the... We'll, well see. We'll have to, we'll have to go for, for we'll yeah. find out. this one. <laughs> um, so a corner of a park in Metro Vancouver is a hub for marital bliss 
So basically, it's kind of interesting. And, you know, this is not a um, dating room, a chat room, or where you have to provide a photo. Um, the, the man that runs this is a old sessions in a park where, hmm. and people are there. This is not something that is on over a screen. You're actually there. So basically the way it works is parents and prospective newlyweds right. are show up at this park and they are, you know, they, they, they're basically looking for each other for a match. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think it's really cool. Um, I mean, you're face to face, right? So maybe so you like, do, maybe speed dating. Like, what's the vibe? Mingle session. It's kind of like mingling, yeah. Yeah, it's mingling. Um, but the parents are it, there. Yeah, the, sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just kid. Uh, the you know, right. kids look, looking for love or whatever. Fine. If the but parents are not there, then this is this is acceptable. Like it's, it's a mingling session. Oh, Singles yeah. looking for yeah. partners in yeah. prospect of marriage. Okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's right. very heard of, but if the parents are there, I feel like, Oh no, <laughs> I don't know about that part. Is yeah. this, is and this, I think it, the thing is with that is that's a very, that, that's there's certain cultures where that's the way it is. Just yes. like having a friend yes. on your first date, right? Go along. You don't go alone. And even further than that, like parents actually being the ones to set you up, arranged marriages, it happens around the world still today, you know, as typically as it feels for some cultures. But I think that um, maybe where I'm coming from is just like the overstepping angle, you know, right. it's one thing to set people up, but to actually show up on their quote first dates or their Hey, how's it going? First you guys doing okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to what do you that mean you guy. You want more money. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I'll tell you. This actually got started. Um, the gentleman that started this is, of course, originally from China, and and apparently there are several cities where this is actually done. And especially when you come over to this country, and 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 you don't, you're basically what the article said is a circle of Chinese is small. So this is just a way of getting, you know, meeting, and then maybe something will happen after that. Um, I guess that's what that is. Um, I guess you can they, look about it in in the way of you know if you're you meet the parents already, then you don't have to deal with meeting them later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, What's that's I, a plus? How would you feel about that, Bill? Like if um, the parents of the lady come uh, to check it, or if your parents came and said, "Billy, that's enough drinking. I'll finish that for you." Oh jeez. Yeah, I think it, I think it's an overstep, uh, like uh, Rami has said. But I, I guess in some cultures, the parents do it's still get involved. And yeah, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, and and it's uh, not new. It's definitely no, not no. new. So it, it used to be the way it was done, Bill. It, it, whether you want to look at here or other cultures around the world. Years back, that's what it was done. You know, I'm taking yeah. you to meet my parents. I, I mean, even that, I can totally understand. You know, just stepping into the mindset of uh, my parents may be able to hook me up with somebody that I actually like. They know me. They know other parents. It's, it's um, what do you call it? It's networking, right? I guess so. But yeah. the showing up part is what I'm struggling <laughs> with. Bill's oh. not buying that. 
That's what uh, I'm if you want to call it that, Rum. Yeah, okay. But it is networking. <laughs> Politely put. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> some use interference. Some use. Oh my gosh! Thank goodness! I'll let my parents yeah. pick out the person. They won't complain as much. It depends on your trauma. <laughs> How you yeah. look at it. <laughs> Jackie, yeah. where do you want to go now? Well, we're going to go to Dubai. Um, oh, Dubai, oh. Dubai Hold again. Plans. Yeah. Hang on. Get your get, pack your bag. Uh, Dubai plans for flying taxis again. Um, so basically, in t since twenty, um, it, for twenty twenty six. Sorry, so Associated Press. So this is going to take place if it goes. So ever since uh, two thousand seventeen, Dubai has been sort of they, they've tried to roll out this flying taxi thing, and and I guess. Yeah. It's it's pretty vague, but in this in this time, they're they're basically ruling they're they're rolling out new features and they're basically going out and we're, they're they're revealing how they're going to do this. So what they've what they're going to be doing is they are going to have um I think they call variaports. Um I I can't pronounce um very very point very points which are near the Dubai Air International Airport, and they have, they're going to have two launching platforms and two and four charging stations for these uh, flying taxis. Um, it's basically the cost is going to be like a, like the, the a little more than a limous, limousine. Oh, um, okay. Well, this yeah. is for the bougie of us. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. All right. Well, well, the the lift would be something else, Billy. I mean, what I first ever heard about these is they would take one individual. Um, you you would fly, and I can't think of the height. I, I want to say forty, fifty feet above uh, the ground, maybe. That's it. Um, and and uh, yeah, because of just obviously safety, and you're just sitting in this open air. I believe it was an open air um, disc like thing. It's not this, even yeah. enclosed. I don't. Well, these ones that they're looking at might be right, Bill. I I don't know if if there's much I wasn't information able to, on the kind. Yeah. If I'm paying premium prices for my air taxi, I, I don't want my hair to be a mess when I get off the ride. Well, their view. I, yeah, agreed. Um, their view isn't it, Billy? More the convenience and how fast. And in theory, I mean, you'd think it'd be cheaper because they'll be able to. They'll never be rush hour traffic until there's a few thousand of these flying out sure. in the air at the same time. Um. But you would think that going from an airport to downtown, not having to worry about certain things like traffic or, you know, roadways, it would be, I won't say cheaper, but it's certainly worthwhile for the money that you're going to be spending. Wait, okay. The, Sorry, Billy, go. The traffic um, is, is a problem over there, and this would alleviate mm -hmm. that. I wasn't able to find out whether the vehicles were closed or not. But I can tell you one dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. the, orig the original design or the original idea was to vehicles to be autonomous, which there is no bloody way yes. that I would want to fly <laughs> in an autonomous vehicle. Um, so, spaceship taxi 50 yeah, feet above right. the ground. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's a weight allowance, right? Because they also put a restriction on how heavy the passenger could be. Yeah. No, but I have a serious well, question. I, I can't do like this um, vertical math. 40, 50 feet is how high? Like how many stories? Three, three well, to four stories. 10 feet, 
feet. And, three, and I can't feet. remember. Yeah. Three stories high. So it's it, not even like, like you could take shortcuts over rooftops and buildings. Well, you could. I think you could. Right, Bill? But that's I think not even could. that I'm high. I'm just not sure they're going to allow. Yeah. Well, yeah, it has to be such a, such a controlled... Like, if you spend too much time in the airport bar, they don't really want to worry about you rolling off the flying saucer and landing and being another unidentified Another reason to enclose the thing. Yeah. yeah. And they might. Like, I would imagine they're going to, right, Bill? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 I'm sure that the areas that you would fly over would be relatively speed. You're not going to be able to go everywhere on these things. Um, yeah. Because no. it, not they for have the price. To go too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you'd run into people's drones and all sorts yeah, of crazy would. stuff. So yeah, they're going to have would. to have some kind of planning. Yeah. And directing. Still, wow. though, like it's <laughs> it's really a little futuristic, and I don't know how well it's going to work. I mean, how, you know, there's I a lot of things that we don't thing. know. And yeah, you know what? If anybody were to pick it up, it would be Dubai. Like, they're, they're just yep. so involved technologically. But, you know, we'll see. And they have a crush yeah. of, of traffic right now that is really Yeah, a they do. Um, right. Yeah. Let's yeah. fit one more in, Bill. Well, Ohio proposes proposal gets getting parents to okay for kids to use social media. So this is kind of interesting, a conversation we've had before. Um, the latest, well, from Ohio, the, the governor is basically wanting social media platforms um, Snapchat, uh, chat, and TikTok, uh, the two that were mentioned, to be able to provide uh, proof that the parent that 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 is, is, is signing is the kid is under 16. So what it would do, what it would be, is if you're a parent, you would have to prove to the social media platform that you that that your child was under 16. So that could be a splash screen. Or it could be an electronic form that the parent would have to fill out, um, be, or the child wouldn't be able to join, set up an account. Don't know how this is going to work. Well, I mean, um, no better reason to get off TikTok as a young person than than to have to get your parents to sign up for you. Yeah, that's and, right. And especially I guess, if the splash screen goes up with you and shows, I'm under 16, blink. I'm under yeah, 16, blink, so ew. that people know. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. That's not very know. cool. Um, but... I'm curious about why they wanted to do this. I, like, it makes obvious sense to me, right, that the content on oh, TikTok yeah. and yeah. everything is getting real rated R on there, by the way. But I'm just saying, like, is that what it is? Just out of nowhere, out of the blue, they were like, we need to do this? Didn't say. Um, it could have been in the works for a long time. Um, I don't know. Um, Maybe, I guess, yeah. they're like you say, they're concerned about people using it and maybe using it too much or whatever. Um, the one Yeah, the screen time thing, aspect, I guess. Yeah, is... that's right. Well, the, the interesting thing, the one thing is they didn't include online shopping, which you, you would think that that would mm. be some of the platforms that you would want your kid to stay off of. And yeah. number two, yeah. number two, it's only new account holders that would prospective signees. So oh, what about, I guess so oh, people are going to fake it everywhere. It's yeah. just yeah. a right. fact. Oh, yeah. Interesting, Billy. Thanks a lot, pal. Oh, thanks a lot. We call it the buzz. He's here Wednesday through Fridays uh, at the bottom of our first hour here on the program. Coming up in the next hour of the show, in our latest report from Robert Half, 
Michael French shares some useful insights for us, and this is for employers and job seekers to cultivate strong working relationships and find passion at work, or passion in that work. And we're going to have a discussion with Marcus McCracken on how games are continually being improved for accessibility needs for gamers with disabilities. Up next, we welcome our newest committee reporter into the Kelly and Rumia family. Stephen Ricci joins us from Toronto after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumya on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. 